Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Hi there. I am Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I am so glad to be with you this evening. You know, it has been a wild ride. We've been on the air about four years this month, and This show is dedicated to sexual addiction as well as partner trauma, and I'm really glad and honored to be helping you with that issue and to be showing you the resources that are really available out there for you. Let's face it, you know, you can do a lot of reading and you can certainly listen to podcasts, but... Oftentimes, finding an expert to actually ask the tough questions can be difficult. And that is where I come in. You can always call the show, and that number would be 646-595-3284. Or you can email me at carol at carolthecoach.com. Or even go to my website, www.sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com, and I will do my best to get you to the right resources, to get you to the right people. Because I know that not only is this a sensitive subject, but it's also an area that, you know, you may not know who to trust. You know, it's interesting because if you're a sex addict, Oftentimes, you know that you're not trustworthy. You've been living a life of shame and lies and deceit. And it's easy to say, okay, do I trust that person to have my best interest at heart? And i got to say, 
You know, I definitely am here for you. I wouldn't be doing this for four years if I weren't. So anytime you have a question, you can either call the show or you can arrange to call the show or you can email me, um, and I'll be happy to do my best to answer those important questions. Now tonight, we're going to be talking about shame. And if you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a million times, it's the addict that carries the shame, but it's the partner who carries the pain. And oftentimes that means that you don't know how to get out from underneath the shame. You know, I always say there's five different emotions, and they are anger, sadness, loneliness, fear, and happiness. And what I mean by that is that it is oftentimes very necessary to work through your feelings. And the five primary help you identify what you need to do next. But then there's these two ancillary feelings that really can 100% overwhelm you. And those feelings are guilt and shame. And shame is by far the toughest one to deal with because usually, you know, guilt is when you hate what you've been doing and you feel very, very badly about it, whereas shame is not liking yourself because you hate what you've been doing. Now, most people will go to almost any length to avoid feeling shame. Now, the problem with that is that once the addictive behavior ends, that shame can feel very overwhelming because you're out of that sense of denial. And, you know, sexual addiction is an auto-exacerbating illness. For whatever reason, you're uncomfortable with something and you need to medicate it. And you need to medicate it with... um, Drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, spending, working. So you medicate it, let's say, with sex to feel better. And you do momentarily feel better, but then it's it's accompanied by great self-loathing. And it starts that cycle going again, and from that point, you go back into a cycle of shame, which then creates the need to set up a very, very uncomfortable cycle that begins with self-medicating again. So working with shame involves helping a person that leads to the addiction into healthy shame. You know, in toxic shame, we freeze, feel helpless, and are unable to change. And with healthy shame, a person can reassess, see themselves as a flawed human being, and stay open to the possibility of shame. There's not so much self-loathing. So tonight I have an expert, Brett Lyon. And he runs somatic and emotional mindfulness um, workshops. And he, 
he has a Healing the Shame workshop. He became highly recommended to me, and I said, Brett, I would love for you to come on the show and talk to sex addicts about their shame. And I also want partners to understand what this shame component is all about. So I thought it was a very timely subject to be talking about. And I was very fortunate to to get Brett on the show for this evening. Now, clearly, one of the things that I know is it can feel very shaming when you're making progress in your recovery to have a family member, a child, a spouse, a girlfriend, um, a husband, put you back in that place of shame because they don't trust in your recovery. And when that occurs, that can also be very, very difficult to deal with. You know, there is no doubt about it. Um, You feel like you're doing better when you get into recovery, but then people that love you can't trust it. They can't trust you. And so you sometimes enter that shame cycle. And so Brett's going to be talking about how to stay out of that shame cycle and how loved ones can begin to trust again. And, you know, what is shame? Is there a healthy shame? I just know that a lot of the men that I work with, they really have made changes in their life that are monumental, that are pro-recovery, that are absolutely indicative of change and health. And sometimes they slip. Occasionally they relapse but they're making progress. And if it were just about them, they they can understand that they're going to have some setbacks. But when loved ones count on them to really work hard on something, oh, it gets to be very, very difficult because, you know, your loved ones have been so traumatized by the initial setbacks that when you're doing better and then you have another setback they don't want to trust again again that leads to shame now I really encourage anybody to work on their issues around shame because clearly that is going to make a difference And we've got a caller, and I'm going to check and see who might be contacting us. Hi, this is Carol the Coach, and I'm speaking with... Brett Lyon. Yay, Brett. I'm so glad that you decided to join us tonight, because this is such a topic of discussion with with the addicts that I work with and in group. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that book called Drop the Rock, which helps people to get rid of some of the shame, but you really have made it your mission to create kind of an emotional mindfulness and help people 
heal from shame. So can you tell me a little bit about what your definition of sexual addiction is and how does it relate to shame? Okay, well, let me first say that I'm really, you know, just tuning in, just calling in and hearing you immediately mention shame is so important. It just did my heart good because my wife and I have been on this mission for about nine years now of, you know, just presenting on shame over and over and over again to therapists, basically, and healing professionals so that they can, uh, you know, start helping their clients because my experience and my wife's experience was we were completely unhelped around our shame. And that when oh, people try to bring yes, it up, we definitely have made it our mission here because shame is toxic. I mean, it can mm-hmm. it can kill any progress somebody makes when they can't seem to get out from underneath it. Right, right. And the way that relates to sexual addiction, as I understand it, is that um, we can't stand the feeling of shame. It's it's just too painful. So we do something to avoid it. And there are four directions in which the avoidance can go. You don't have to just take one, but there are four basic directions. And one is attack self, which is what looks like shame, where you're criticizing yourself and you become perfectionistic and you maybe try every self-help program there is. And um, and, and that's still not really dealing with the basic shame. That's the one that looks most like shame. But then there's attack other, which looks like anger and aggression. And then there's deny, which is where I believe the addictions fit in, which is just pretend you're not feeling it. In other words, you keep feeling it, but you bury it in activity of some kind, either drinking or sexuality or eating, that allows you not to temporarily feel it. And then there's withdrawal, which is to pull away from the situation. And it's in that process that potential healing can lie, although too much withdrawal can really cause a big problem and send people to one of the other directions. Well, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, you said there are these four um, positions in shame. And the first one you said mm-hmm. is attack self. And, it, and you know, so many of the addicts that I work with, whether they be drug addicts or alcohol addicts or sex addicts, they mm-hmm. say they end up hating themselves. There's so yes. much self-loathing. And when you have that kind of feeling towards yourself, it's almost impossible to get healthy or stay healthy. Would you not agree? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The attack self is where addiction goes back to. It's a, it's a kind of cycle of deny through the addiction and then attack self and then deny and then attack self. Uh, John Bradshaw, who brought the whole issue of shame to the recovery movement and is really the godfather of a lot of the work that you and I are doing, um, you know, he said that when he was alcoholic, he would do things that he should have been ashamed of, but the alcohol kept him, and then he would get sober, and then all the shame would come rushing back. So, of course, he would start drinking again to avoid the shame. Yeah, it became auto-exacerbating. It kept that cycle just going. Yes, and and when it goes like that, you need more and more to go into the denial. In other words, it, the shame is more and more intense, so you need more and more of the addictive habit. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, talk a little bit about how one can attack others when they feel shame. Well, that's that's really a major thing that happens, and you'll you'll see it in in all kinds of forms. But it, you know, I'm I'm an attack other person myself. So when I feel shame, what I do is uh, get critical of somebody else, and I'm a mild form of this, but it can go all the way towards fighting and violence and things like that. 
And it's where you feel the shame, but you project it out. So it's not me who's bad, it's you who's bad. And so in other that's, words, you know, many yeah. of our addicts may feel wounded by somebody else, may feel attacked themselves, and they attack back or attack others in defense of feeling that feeling. Yes. Rather than feeling the shame, and I want to get into shame because there's a real difference between what you're talking about, which is toxic shame, and what my wife and I have chosen to call healthy shame. And I know that sounds like a weird idea, but I think in that way we can really solve some big problems. If we can look well, at. Excited to talk to you about because I got to tell yeah. you I've never heard of healthy shame. I didn't yeah. know it existed. I'm still not sure. So, but I'm definitely open to new concepts and ideas. So, share a little bit about healthy shame. Okay. Well, it comes from the framework that nature or God or whatever didn't give us any useless emotions. There was everything we have serves a purpose, and the purpose of shame is to keep us out of trouble. So, uh, you know, it's designed to help us follow rules and regulations. So you have what I would call every society uses shame to socialize. Every parent uses shame to help the child grow successfully. The question isn't whether they use it or not. It's how they use it, how much do they use. And the basic formula for healthy shaming is relationship, rupture, repair. So the parent maybe you know unintentionally like yells at the kid because he's angry let's let's say the kid runs into the street parent yells and the kid runs back so now we've got the question is this healthy shaming or toxic shaming well we don't know yet because the answer is in whether the parent then makes a repair does the parent say oh you're a bad kid swat the kid no dinner for you that's toxic does the parent say gee i'm sorry i yelled but I was scared. You can't go out in the road like that. Gives the kid a hug. That's healthy shaming. And it produces a different result in the adult or in the child and then the adult. Okay, so now let me ask you something else. I would almost think that that was guilt. So what do you see as the difference between guilt and shame? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and I know a lot of people like to use that distinction. I find it difficult because, to me, they're really on the same spectrum. Um, and, and I think guilt is actually a little bit different. It's a more, it's a second. All right, shame is a primary emotion. We're born with the capacity to feel shame. Guilt is something that develops later as we kind of get more sensitive and we figure things out more. Um, and so I like to use the word healthy shame. I'm willing to change that to guilt for those who don't like it. <laughs> you know, and every, whenever I teach, I always get somebody who really hates that term, and I say, okay, if you hate it, don't use it. But what I want to point out is it's on the shame spectrum. So that we don't – you see, the worst part about shame is the shame about shame. It's not the uh -huh. shame itself. It's that our society, where everybody in our society, including therapists, is ashamed of having shame. So you feel shame, and then you're ashamed of that. And that's what makes it so difficult to deal with. Well, that's you know, a really good could... point. And I, like you, am open to reframing a definition or calling it something else if it's more palatable. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't even like the term sexual addiction. They'd rather call it hypersexuality or sexual right. compulsivity. It's right. fine. Whatever, I don't have a problem know, with that. Yeah. 
know, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter what you call it. But I want to just go one step further on healthy shame because we can keep coming back to it. But the main thing about healthy shame is this. I'm a normal human being. I have flaws and limitations just like everybody else. So the comic example of healthy shame I like to use is my disappointment that I can't fly. I mean, I'd like to be able to fly, but I can't fly. And I've had dreams about flying. When I was a kid, I used to flap my arms and try to fly, but I can't fly. And this keeps me from jumping off buildings. So it's a kind of comedic example, but it's re- it really gives you a, a sense of what healthy shame can be. It's a sense of I've got limitations. Also, I've made a mistake. Well, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody doesn't make mistakes. So I'm a normal person who makes mistakes, just like every other normal person. And therefore, rather than going into what I call a toxic shame freeze, where you're totally frozen and you can't function, which is what we're talking about with addiction, you actually reassess and you go, wait a minute, I made a mistake here. Well, I'm a human being. I'm entitled to make mistakes. How do I fix it? Okay, so talk about that toxic freeze a little bit. What what happens mm-hmm. to a person when they feel that toxic shame? Yeah, that's really important because actually they've now done a lot of studies neurologically, and uh, it is a shame is the combination of a primary emotion and a freeze state. The whole nervous system goes into a, a shutdown, a freeze. It's a protective shutdown to keep you from acting out or doing anything. It's the same freeze that we get in trauma. Shame and trauma are very, very connected. And so uh, it's a, it shuts, you become stupid. You can't think clearly. In fact, when a client comes to me and uses words like stupid or stuck, I feel stupid, I feel stuck, I know they're in shame. Mm-hmm. Those are shame words. They're, they're words about I'm in this freeze, my nervous system is shut down, I can't think clearly. And so, I mean, I'm very articulate. But when I go into shame, I can't even find the words. And, and I, I kind of stutter around, and that's usually when I attack other. Because what I can find is nasty things to say to the other person. But I'm missing explaining myself or try to kind of get more and seeing the big picture of what's going on. Uh, I kind of get lost. And, and people, particularly men, don't like that state of freeze. They really hate. And our society rejects it. We don't like to freeze. We don't like to be powerless. So we do something, anything, to feel powerful. So we have sex, one example. We lash out at somebody, another example. We're, we're fighting off that sense of impotence and freeze. Well, you're right. Uh, there's, it's very clear that a lot of people, when they go into shame, they freeze, they don't know what to say, they don't know how to defend themselves, mm-hmm. and, and they do feel stupid. Or, yeah. like you referenced last time, they go into fight mode, and that's exactly. when they attack others just to keep warding off any criticism onto themselves. Yes. So that's what this And obviously, you've done some studying about this, haven't you? Yeah, I, this has been my, my passion for a really long time, um, and I work almost exclusively with therapists. So I hope you'll continue to translate for <laughs> the general public. I've done a lot of research, and uh, both on myself, on my clients, and, of course, a lot of reading in the, in the area. And there's a lot of good theory, but it's, it's so underwritten about. The only place you get a decent amount about shame is in the recovery movement. 
And that's because of John Bradshaw. Well, I would agree with you, and I think that's why John Bradshaw has always been so popular, because people Mm -hmm. can relate to the name. And, of course, he did, was it Healing the Shame That Binds You? Yeah, that's the book, right. And then he went on to do whole family things. But his shame book was that one, right? And he actually took a lot of those. One of the things that we know about John Bradshaw is that he works out of the Meadows, which is a major addiction center out of Arizona, and he works with Patrick Carnes, which, of course, is, the you know, the father of sexual addiction. Now, right. is, he, is he still alive? I don't I don't know. I don't think so. I, I don't think he's still practicing, certainly. I haven't heard his name brought up in a long time. I hope I'm not doing him a disservice. I will uh, Google as soon as we get off the phone and find out. You know, I'm doing that as we speak, so I will Google while we're talking. Tell me, you know, you you included your wife in on this, and that sounds really incredible that you two as a team are working on shame and talking about shame and teaching about shame. So how did the two of you get working on this? Well, it's so interesting, and in fact, she'd be on the phone with me, except she had to work, so... uh, She's going to show up. If she gets here before it's over, I'll put her on for a minute, and she can say hello. I think she's just going to miss us. Um, But we got involved. uh, Both of us had experiences of going to therapists and trying to find out what was wrong. And she has a more attack self kind of shame, you know, where it's very, it's, it's more obvious. So she would go in and say to this therapist, there's something wrong with me, to which the therapist would reply, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. So she realized that she had to be ashamed of her shame, so she never brought it up again. Can you see how that would work? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I have a client now who's going to a trauma therapist, and she's working on her trauma, and every time she brings up shame, the trauma therapist says to her, can you put that aside? Well, it's shaming. Well, that's kind of crazy. You can't put that aside. Exactly. You can't put it aside. It's the center. It's the essence of trauma. Whenever you really get into trauma, what you find at the core is shame. You know, there's a reason that other societies can deal with a tsunami or a flood, and, and the whole society is disrupted, and they can straighten themselves out pretty fast, whereas our society can't. And that's because we have so much shame. We can't talk about feeling impotent feeling like, you know, we have no power, all the things that, that shame is about. Yeah, that's and for totally myself, if, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm jabbering. If I'm talking too much, slow me down because uh, no, I'm no, excited, no. Can, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Continue. So I was just going to say for myself, I had kind of the opposite experience. I'm an attack other, which is the typical male position. So I go to a therapist and I say, I really get angry very suddenly. And he says to me, well, um, don't you notice something before you get angry? I say, no, I just get angry. So that's the end of the discussion. We never brought it up again. And, of course, what happens to a man before he gets angry is he feels shame. And the word that men use and addicts use a lot is disrespected because that puts it on the other person. You know, I feel disrespected. I feel attacked. I feel those kind of words are what the man will, uh, not just the man, but what the attack other will use. But what they're really saying is, I feel shame. And you did this to me, and you're bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, in all fairness to sex addicts, 
you know, they say that sexual addiction is probably the toughest addiction to um, curtail, in part because there is so much deception, so much lying, so much um, gaslighting that when an addict comes clean and says, I want to work on this problem, nobody wants to believe them because they don't want to get hurt again. So they're constantly checking in with the person, judging them, criticizing them, being very skeptical. And although that makes a lot of sense because this person has lied for years and years and years, and yet when, when truly in recovery, it can throw them right back into those feelings of shame, which is n- not where they need to be to well, get healthy. where they actually need to be, and this is, this is my concept, is they need to be in healthy shame. Okay. Rather than toxic shame. See, that's, that makes it easier because you're never going to get rid of the shame. Shame is built in. It's nature's way of keeping us under control. Uh, so you're never going to get rid of it. So if your fantasy is to get rid of shame, you're doomed. But if your fantasy or your, your, your goal is to transform toxic shame into healthy shame, which if you want to call guilt, you can. I don't think it's as precise. But if you want to transform toxic shame into healthy shame, where the addict can say, you know, you're right, I did these things. These were terrible, terrible things to do, and I'm not going to do them anymore. And mean it, and, and not freeze, and not be righteous. See, we're getting into the next category, so since I'm doing my little map, I'd like to go on. You've got attack self and attack other, and now the sex addict goes to deny. Uh-huh. So that's why he's not believed, because he, he or she goes to deny. Anybody who's in addiction is going to deny. And they're doing something to chemically change their brain so that they can deny. So it's hard, you know, to believe um, because they're they're moving to that realm where they can pretend it's not happening. They can pretend that their loneliness isn't happening, their their you know, their shame isn't happening, their pain isn't happening, and they're caught up in a in a very exciting pleasurable sensation, at least at first. So, you can. So now, explain to me, you said they're in that denial, or deny. Right. And and you said then what happens is they go back to some of the old behaviors to deal with that, drinking or... Or sex. Okay, so when they're denying, if you would... See if you can't put yourself into into the head of a sex addict. What okay. might that denial look like? Oh, well, the, the denial is in the act. I mean, the denial is I'm having a good time here. I'm just enjoying myself. You know, there's nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with me, nothing to look at here, folks. Move along, move along. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's very much getting – it's exactly – I mean, it's – I can't say exactly. Uh, I wanted to say something else about sex addiction. Is be, is as opposed to like drinking. Uh, mm-hmm. You can stop drinking, but you can't. You're not supposed to stop having sex. So it is mm-hmm. harder. You know, in other words, there's a healthy, there's a healthy level of drinking. But if you can't handle that, you can stop drinking. There's a healthy level of sex, but it really is not that great to completely stop having sex. 
So no, and that's like, really why they call it a process addiction because it is something that most people need to do, and so right. they kind of figure out how to stop doing it in ways that are hurting themselves and others, and how to do it in healthy ways. Right, right, and and that's really about intimacy. I mean, sex sex addiction or sexual compulsivity is using sex to get intimacy. They're they're missing. Uh, have you? I don't know if you've talked to your people or you work with the idea of attachment, the lens of attachment. Absolutely. But go ahead and share yeah. with our listeners and some of the clinicians who are listening tonight a little bit about that theory. Yeah. So. I guess I wanted to start with this incredible experiment that people are writing about a lot now. Where I don't know if you've heard of it, but somebody created a rat park. You know, they, the whole the, the thing of addiction, the theory of addiction, is based on you take a rat, you isolate that rat in a cage, you give him water and water laced with heroin, and he will choose the water laced with heroin until he dies. Okay, so therefore addiction is chemical, right? Well, this guy said, wait a minute, there's a flaw in this study. That rat is completely isolated. So he created Rat Park, which is a, a big cage with lots of rats, uh, toys, and they males and females, they can have sex, and uh, they don't even touch the heroin water. They don't go near it. And so what, what he's saying, which is basic attachment theory, is if there's connection, you don't get addicted. Addiction is a substitute for connection. Well, and you know what I say. I say connection is the antidote for sexual addiction. So we're both saying the same thing. Same exact thing. Exact. And the thing is that sexual addiction, unlike other addictions, produces – well, I guess no, it's not unlike. The the, um, alcoholic is addicted as a relationship, a connection with the alcohol. But the Mm -hmm. sexual addict has what looks like a more – it's paralleled to a real human connection. Because, you know, it's very often it's with another person. It mimics a real connection, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having the, re- it's, you know, like friends first, you know, getting to know somebody, getting in contact with somebody, uh, becoming connected with somebody before you have sex, that's, that's, an, uh, that's a way out of the addiction. And then realizing that what you need is the attachment and the connection, what you've been deprived of, probably as a child, is attachment and connection, and you found a way to get the high. But you're missing the whole rest of it. And so, again, for people that are just getting this theory for the first time, when you say you're missing the whole rest of it, you're missing so the attachment theory that I understand, the way um, one of my mentors puts it, is when the chips are down, will you be there for me? It's called secure attachment. You know that you're loved. You know that the other person will be there for you. That's what we most want. My wife and I, just, just last night we were talking about this incredible thing we had a big fight, and we worked it through. I went in to attack other. She was able to listen. I softened, and we ended up where she said, what I want is to be able to share souls with you. And it was so beautiful. I mean, it just touched me so deeply. And I said, that's what I want. I want to be well, able to share souls. 
she said that to you after you had had this big fight. Right. And I'm a believer in conflict and healthy relationships. It it breeds intimacy. It breeds an increased connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, healthy she, con- again, healthy conflict. You got it. Yeah. You got you it. Definitely. Okay, and, so, and that, what, so one of the things that addicts are avoiding is conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, part of intimacy is it's hard for two people to share souls. It's hard. It, 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 you know, we're we're the deepest connected with each other, and so it's easiest to wound each other. The closer we are, so if you can cut to the chase, go have sex and avoid all the difficulties. Well, that's tempting. You get the highs without without the pathway. In a way, it's very American. It's like the whole idea of taking a pill. You know, we don't want the struggle. The Buddhists are very upset, and some of the yoga teachers are very upset with the Americans, the way Americans handle this stuff, because they just want the enlightenment, you know? They don't want to go through the 20 years that it takes to get there. Well, and you know, it's so interesting, because I had interviewed Patrick Carnes um, this last year, and Mm -hmm. he said every religion... You know, be it Christian, be it Buddhism, be it Taoism, every philosophical and spiritual religion says that that struggling is what causes transformation. And it's out of transformation that you really have a good sense of self and self-worth. Right. So that's why it's so important to have the struggle. Yes, I totally agree. So then, can I get into your personal life a little bit? And certainly you can say absolutely not. Um, uh, yeah, like you could do it. Something about addiction. Personally. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I'm a kind of funny duck in that in some ways I'm like an anti-addict. Like I need to be in control at all times. So it's uh-huh. kind of hard for me to lose myself. Uh, but, you know, certainly as a kid, there was stuff where I was lacking, uh, lacking parental support, lack, you know, alone, isolated, abandoned, and reached out in ways that, you know, that I now regret. And so that's how you know some of this from firsthand knowledge, is that you've been there and done that. I've been there and done that in an odd way, Yes. Uh, my addictions right. are funny. I'm kind of addicted to knowledge. I'm addicted to some things that most people aren't addicted to. But uh-huh. there's a way in which I've tried to bypass. I've tried to bypass my shame. That's what I know. And addiction is about bypassing the shame. Well, that's so a great I've had way my to own put ways of trying to bypass. Alcoholism is also an addiction. It's a way to yes. bypass the shame and right. think you're holier than thou and you're doing great right. things. And really, you're right. running. You're running yeah. from yourself and your feelings. Right. And a lot of right. times that's from shame, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely from shame. Shame, as far as I'm concerned, shame is basically the master emotion. It's the Because emo- shame is a, actually a binding emotion, and it's designed to bind with and lower the affect of other emotions so that we don't act out. Every emotion has an action tendency. So the action tendency, particularly of anger, and I think that's the main reason for shame, is to lash out. And so shame is really designed to to kind of bind with the anger and lower it 
so we don't cause trouble, basically. And it's got a useful purpose. That's why I talk about healthy shame. We wouldn't want to live in a society in which there's no shame. And there's some okay, feeling... so anybody who's tuning in late, let me tell you that we are talking with Brett Lyon, who holds Healing Shame Workshops. Um, he's out of Berkeley, California. He has a website called www.healingshame.com, and he's really worked diligently on creating kind of a somatic and emotional mindfulness for people where he distinguishes healthy shame from, you know, toxic shame. And so it's it's really the first time I've ever heard that you uh-huh. could have shame. And, and so for our listening audience, yes, you're hearing this right. Brett believes that there is <laughs> such a thing as healthy shame, and it actually keeps you on on track in terms of paying attention to how you feel, what you need, and how you behave. Yeah, and the people around you. Absolutely. So now, yeah. how does the emotion Thank you for that. I, I, I had to start laughing because it's so important to me to get this out there, and it's so nice to hear you repeating it to people who don't know it, because I think this is the key to working with shame, that if you understand that shame is a spectrum and is a healthy piece, you're no longer in that horrible dilemma of trying to get rid of a normal primary emotion, which can't be got rid of. It would be like trying to get rid of breathing. You can't get rid of it. You've got to be able to breathe. And you've got to be able to feel right. shame because otherwise we would have no society. So and so that, as opposed yeah. to unhealthy shame, uh, to- well, you call it toxic shame, yeah. you're actually saying it's on a spectrum and it moves towards healthy shame. And again, for anybody who's tuning in late, Brett, one more time, describe what healthy shame is. Yes. Healthy shame is I'm a human being just like other human beings. I have flaws just like other human beings. I make mistakes just like other human beings. That's healthy shame. I'm aware of my human limitations. I'm not trying to deny them. I'm not trying to beat myself up because I have them. And I'm not attacking someone else to try to get them, give them the blame. I'm accepting that I'm a human and that I make mistakes, and that there well, are people you around kind me. Of went over. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was there just going to say, just kind of you, you describe yeah. again your your four points, um, kind of talking point that when you have shame, you either attack the self or you attack others. Or you deny, you right. usually by using more mind-altering substances, and and then you talked about withdrawal, and you haven't mentioned much about that stage. So talk a little yes, bit about. Yes, I'm so glad we got there. First, let me say that I, I want to clarify about my shame. I am okay. able to go to denial without using substances, and there are a lot of people like me. In other words, there's a whole thing where you can zone out, you can kind of detach, you can leave your body. You can. You know, I used to j- joke that I don't eat drugs, you know, but I really don't. I mean, I can do it anyway. So I can be just as in denial around my shame without having to drink. And, and that's important to realize because denial 
I mean, some people have to do a lot to get into denial. Other people can do it quickly. Okay, so... So let me get to withdraw, because that's really the key. To withdraw, as opposed to deny, where you keep doing it, you stay in the situation, but you pretend you're not. Um, withdraw is where you pull out of the situation. Take a break. So if I get into a fight with my wife, the best thing for me to do is to leave and walk around the block and come back. That's a form of withdraw. Okay? And in withdraw, you now have a chance to reassess. You're out of the action. You're not in process. Whoever's bothering you isn't there to bother you. Whatever behavior you're doing, you're not doing. And you get a chance to reassess. Now, if you reassess successfully, then you come to healthy shame which, let me see, I wrote it down here. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I'll go over it. You, healthy, healthy shame involves self-compassion, compassion for self and others. It involves taking responsibility for your part in what happened. It involves seeing the big picture. It involves maybe some humor, which is my specialty, where if you have some humor, you can kind of see the big picture and lighten it up. And then eventually you re-engage. You come back into society. If you don't reassess successfully then you go down the rabbit hole and you get more and more isolated and withdrawn which is no good but there's that stopping place where you can reassess and go to healthy shame and i believe that's what all of us helpers and therapists we're all trying to do for our clients we're trying to help them get to that reassessment so that they can pull away a little bit from what they're doing and get a clearer picture and see a bigger picture and that's where they can make changes. Yeah, that makes total sense. Absolutely. And so withdrawal can be, when you withdraw, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing as long as you come back and deal with it. Yes. But for people who don't come back, who further isolate themselves, they go further and further down the rabbit hole, and they disconnect. And if, if connection right. is the antidote to sexual addiction, and if connection is the important part of attachment, they, you know, aren't going to get that feature that makes them feel whole. Right. Right. So my wife just walked in. You want to say hello? Oh, I'd love to. Okay, let me put her on. This is Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Are you there? Hi, this is Sheila. Can you hear me Okay. I sure can. I was just talking to Brett, who has just been referencing you all throughout the show, and Aww, has said he's such a sweetie. Have made a mission to work with shame and to help clinicians and to understand yes. the difference between healthy shame and toxic shame. Yes, yes, yes. So let me ask you, what made it important for you to make this part of your own personal mission? Well, you know, I'd worked with a lot of clients over the years, and there was something familiar with each of them, from the clients who had an eating disorder to the clients who had an addiction to the clients who had a severe depression. They all had something about the inner critic and about not being good enough, and I just started to see this pattern in the hospital, in my private practice, you know, and I started to think, 
what is that? And slowly I began to realize that that was the emotion of shame. And so I figured out how to work with it, and then I decided to help other therapists learn how to work with it. And so in understanding that, and obviously you're a therapist or a nurse? Well, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I'm Mm -hmm. also a registered drama therapist. So I see couples, and I used to work years ago in the psych hospital with people who had eating disorders or addiction. But now I'm in private practice, and I work with couples, and I work with individuals, and I work with families, even Families where there's been an affair where somebody's done some sexual acting out, then I'll I'll be working with that couple. Yeah, uh, Sheila has a write-up in the Berkeley Parents Network where it says, if you've had an affair or there's an affair, run, don't walk to see Sheila Rubin. Oh, what what an (laughs) affidavit to your skill and your ability to help couples work through things. Yeah, and this is, you know, obviously an affair is a source of a huge amount of shame on both sides. And so de-shaming that or, you know, bringing it down to a healthy level of shame is just so important. Because if somebody can have a little bit of the shame, they don't have to walk around with the level of toxic freeze. But if they take a little bit from that experience and go, wow, I never want to do that again. I never want to hurt my wife. I never want to hurt my family. I want to do something different next time and keep a little bit of that shame to remind them why they don't want to make that mistake. Because otherwise, it just happens again. Well, so what we think of... Sorry? What I was going to say is what we... You go ahead. You do it. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask... Um, so healthy shame keeps you cognizant of working harder to develop connection and to develop self-awareness. Would you yes. say that? Yes, uh-huh. exactly. That's what it's uh-huh. for. It's to really get your place in the world, that you have a place, that, again, you're a flawed human being like all other flawed human beings, and that that's where mm-hmm. you—that's where you live—is among flawed human beings. So you don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be perfect, and you don't have to beat yourself up for not being perfect. Okay. So, so what would you both recommend for someone trying to get out of a sex addiction? What what would what would you say? You go first, Sheila. Well, the thir- first thing I would say is for them to get a lot of uh, support, you know, the 12-step support, you know, the sex and love addicts, um, you know, work with somebody who actually knows how to deal with the sex addiction rather than just a regular therapist. So that's number one, and get community support. Number two is um, in the therapy that they do, they need to have something around self-forgiveness so that they can have kindness to themselves and they can have compassion to themselves because otherwise the addiction just will start up again to cope with the shame that's there. So along the same lines, I would say it's about working the shame. 
that the and I think you're saying the same thing. Yep. So, yep. It's about think, working the not shame. Not only are you saying it, Sheila, but I think Carol's saying it as well. It, it's it's working the shame. You know, it's like de-shaming counter. We do a lot of what we call counter-shaming, where you really you're aware of the shame, and you you know you acknowledge the parts that are bad, and you also point out the strengths and the resources. And I think it's very important to to get support and help, as Sheila's saying, with somebody who really understands addiction and understands shame. Um, well, and I heard you both saying that it's important to go to a specialist who gets this process and also has a real understanding of trauma and attachment yes. and yeah. help you to work on self-nurturance and self-care so that you're kinder and gentler to yourself as you are working on connections. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. And and let me just make sure I make the pitch that we are interested in training helpers and therapists. We give workshops. We're in Berkeley. We do travel, and we also do do Skype and other consultation. So if somebody is working with a client and wants help with that, uh, that's that's really our our mission, is to help as many people as possible who are helping people, so that we're trying to get it out there geometrically. And so they can con- con- um, connect with you and contact you at www.healingshame.com or they can give yes. you a call at 510-420-1441. Yeah, and they could also email either one of us directly. And my email is brett, B-R-E-T, at healingshame.com. And Sheila's email is Sheila, S-H-E-I-L-A, at HealingShame.com. So it's the same. You can find us through the website as well. Okay. So there's lots of ways to get a hold of you. They can always contact me, too, if they hear the show and they want some more information. Now, let me ask you one last question. What would you recommend for the loved ones, you know, for the partners of sex addicts? Because they've been, you know, here's my, my tagline. It's addicts that carry the shame, but it's partners that carry the pain. Now, what right. I know to be true is that everybody carries shame, so it's not right. that yeah. divisive. But truly, partners are so triggered by some of these behaviors that seem so scary. So what would you recommend for sex addicts and their loved ones? Well, you know, a really important part of recovery is the, the family members. Um, You know, it's a vital part that they stay strong and support themselves, you know, emotionally during this time and for them to kind of be able to see the big picture that, you know, if there's been a relapse or, you know, whatever, you know, this terrible acting out behavior has been, to, you know, be able to see the big picture and not put themselves down, not shame themselves further about what's going on, and not shame the partner who's acting out, um, you know, with their sexual acting out, not shame them further, but ask them to get more help. And uh, I would I would say from my own perspective that I guess tough love would be a part of it, that it's most important for the, um, I guess the, the biblical expression is hate, the, is hate the sin, not the sinner, um, it's to have consequences, have clear consequences that you keep. I think one of the one of the general patterns 
with people who are living with an addict is they tend to not keep their boundary. So I would say the most important single thing is lovingly to keep your boundary. I'm sorry, I don't blame you for relapsing, and yet there will be consequences for it. And, uh, you know, if I can't trust you, that means certain things are going to have to be a certain way. And, you know, it's really setting up, it's like you do with a child. You set up consequences, and they have to be kept. Oh, and we talk all the time about the importance for boundaries. A, it keeps them safe, and B, it does set up consequences. And also, what I find to be true, in relationships like this, you know, both the addict and the partner want to move forward. So it gives them an opportunity to kind of get, kind of withdraw again in a healthy way from what was going on and decide what they're going to do to increase safety and increase trust and increase intimacy. Exactly. And the shame here, there can be healthy shame around understanding the gains that are made moving in a healthy direction, and then when the toxic shame shows up, to be able to work with that rather than rather than get trapped in it again and just repeat the behavior or imagine that the person is just going to repeat the behavior again. Mm-hmm. And, and another piece that I would really bring, would bring to all our clients and all our therapists is to name the shame, to actually use the word shame. If, if the, uh, the person who's being hurt, okay, the, the family member, can say, you know, when you did this, I feel so ashamed. I feel so ashamed of what happened. That's like, you know, putting their consequences out there and putting their internal truth out there. And, and sometimes people can do something for someone else that they really can't do for themselves. And I think if the addict can understand the pain that they're causing, that can be very helpful, not in a blamey way, but just in an understanding way. This is the consequence of what you've done, and this is the pain that it's that I'm experiencing from it, and this is the shame that I feel. Yeah, good point, absolutely. And I'm just so pleased to have gotten to talk to you both and to have learned some new concepts that I'm very open to applying with my clients. and And I'll keep you posted as to how they work and what movement I see. And again. For any clinician who wants more information, they can contact Brett Lyon at www.healingshame.com. You're both available to work with people. You're both on the website, so it's mm-hmm. great. We have probably 500 clinicians that listen to the show. Really? So, oh, that's great. Yeah. And it was well, we want to reach those I, people. They're the people we yeah. want to reach. What's and I, that? I, I, I can give you my name too, which is Sheila Rubin. Um, I already gave you. Oh, you gave Sheila. it great. It's Wonderful. Sheila at Healing I'm Glad you did that again. It's Sheila yeah. Rubin, and that's R U B I N. Exactly, and I'm at that's healingshame.com very... as well. And, uh, and it's you an honor on to be on your show. Website. Yeah, you and you work together, and you work separately. Correct. Yes, right. both ways. <laughs> exactly. Well, and guys, and we're really, you know, I'm really excited that you picked up on the healthy shame concept. And I do have an article specifically on healthy shame, and I think Sheila might have one too. Yes, and I do also. So we will, we will send you copies of those articles so you can take a look at them. I think yes, they're actually on our website. 
Okay, so right. for I think our they're on our website. So for clinicians go particularly, please go to our website. We have two free webinars, and we have a whole bunch of articles on Shay on working with Shay. All right. Well, thanks again for a wonderful show, and keep me posted on all the good work you're doing. Oh, yes. you're so welcome. Thank you, and keep us posted on the good work you're doing. Yes. Okay. Thank you, okay, Sheila. Thanks. You have a good night. Yeah, yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. So, okay, again, that that was Brett Lyon and Sheila Brubin, and as you can tell, they have made it their mission to make you feel better about some of the natural feelings that occur in one's life, and that's what we're here to do, to help you understand yourself better as well as to help you create a motivation to get healthy, to connect, and to be the best person that you can be. And that's what addiction is all about. When you have the transformation, you're ready to give back and make a real difference in your world. So, you know, it starts with small progress, and it, and that as, it's just an amazing process that it snowballs into doing lots of good work. I am Carol Jurgensen-Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, if you get bored, you can go to my uh, YouTube channel, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and if you're an addict or a partner, I have specific videos for both of you. And, of course, you can visit my website on Sex Help with Carol the Coach and and see some of the interesting readings that my clients have done um, and check us out further. So I will look forward to talking with you next Monday. Um, Every Monday at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, that's 9 p.m., for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And as I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We'll catch you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. <laughs>